We continue our series in the book of Genesis as we study the life of our friend Abraham. We're in chapter number 13, chapter number 13 today in the book of Genesis. Thanks to Sue and the choir for their good job today. And thanks to the people that brought flowers and pumpkins and all sorts of things. We have beautiful displays all over. We're grateful for those things. And they remind us of the creative wonder of our God. We're thankful for that. People in our nursery and the cleanup crew, all the folks who helped to make our church what it is, it's certainly not a one-man show. There's a whole lot of people that help to make our church what it is, and we're thankful for all those people. Genesis chapter 13 for our text this morning. Growing up in my house, there were many lessons my mother tried to teach us. She corrected our behavior regularly, and she expected us to treat each other with respect if you wanted something passed to you at the dinner table, you had to say, pass me the potatoes, please. And when the potatoes were passed, you said, thank you. And if you were the one who passed the potatoes, you had to respond, you're welcome. And just to top it all off, Mom also expected us to say, don't mention it. So a regular meal had several exchanges. Please pass the bread. Thank you. You're welcome. Don't mention. That was a regular thing at our table. And it was more than just good manners. It was learning to respect other people and to treat everyone with a certain type of dignity. My father wasn't so good at those things. <laughs> he was a Viking. But mom was determined that she was going, not going to allow us to follow his example. And so for us, it was no elbows on the table. And don't slurp your soup. Don't drink out of the bowl and so on. And whenever he did it, she said, don't, don't do that. <laughs> but mom had one thing that she enforced regularly. I suppose she was well aware that we all were really Adam's children, like all children are, born with a tendency to do wrong. And I think what she did was intended to root out selfish behavior. We're all born with a selfish nature, all of us. And Mom uh, wanted us to think about that and to make unselfish choices. And she had a rule that if there was a piece of cake or a piece of cornbread or a piece of pie, whatever it was, and two of us wanted it, which happened every time, okay, mom would hand the knife to one of us. And she would say, one of you will cut it in half the other one will get first choice. She knew that naturally you wanted the bigger piece of cake than the other person had. But of course, if you cut a larger piece, the other person could take first choice. The larger piece, naturally. So you cannot imagine how precisely 
and exactly you could cut that piece in half. Careful measurement was how you got the biggest piece possible. And only when those two pieces were exactly the same was everyone happy. And Mom got her point across. We learned not to be greedy. So here's the knife. It's a good rule. Today in our text, something needs to be divided. And we will see if it's cut down the middle or if somebody gets a little greedy and selfish. Now last week we saw Abraham in Egypt experiencing a godless culture and he got in big trouble down there, but God bailed him out as God does to all of us. And Pharaoh told Abraham, get out of Egypt, you cannot stay here. So today we take it up where we left off at Genesis 13. And just before I start, may I say this, this is an extremely well-written book. Moses, the author of Genesis, is a superb author. Better than Shakespeare? I think so. He plants little seeds along the way in his text. Little bits of information that are made to help you understand the whole chapter. So watch carefully as we read and let's find the little seeds that he planted in the text. Genesis chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all they had in Lot with him into the south. Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and he went on his journeys from south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So out of Egypt, leave behind a place of trouble, go back where God sent you in the first place, and Canaan is where God told Abraham to go. So get back where you belong. So Abraham, back in Canaan, sets up his tent and goes to his altar and prays to God. Now he's back on track. Now he's a man of faith, believing in and calling on his God. And there's that little seed, though, of information it must be very important because it's the first time we are told about this. It says Abraham was a very wealthy man in three ways, cattle and silver and gold. Well, how does a man like that become rich? Well, he raises animals, camels and donkeys and sheep and goats and whatever, and very successful at it. And so as he wanders around in his tent, he makes money like everybody else does by selling things. And he sells livestock. Beasts of burden you can buy from Abraham. And a, certainly a source of food you can buy. Lamb or goat or whatever it is you like. And he's done very well. God has blessed him like he promised to. And Abraham has become a very wealthy man. Now, many, many years ago, I heard a young Sunday school teacher teach his very first lesson. And he taught on the blessings of Abraham. 
And he turned to this verse and said, ask God to bless you with all the blessings of Abraham and you're going to become a rich man. <laughs> and that's why verse 3, Abraham is wealthy, is followed by verse 4. If you ask Abraham, how does God bless you? He would say, I go to the altar. And I talk with God. And what a blessing it is to walk and talk with God. And if you said, Abraham, how about that silver and gold in your tent? And you say, oh, that, that's no big deal. That's not what interests me. I am not fascinated with silver and gold. There's a lot more important things than gold and silver. So we know how Abraham thinks. Now remember that as we read on. Verse number 5. Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. So as they wander about living in their tents, uh, you must understand there are restrictions as to where you can wander. There are people there, Canaanites and Perizzites, that have taken possession of certain places so that you can't just move your large flocks onto their property. And uh, so as the flocks get larger, it gets crowded. Lot, Abraham's nephew, also has large flocks of his own, and the shepherds who tend to the flocks argue now over pastures and water supplies. Now, who is Lot? Well, uh, we first met Lot back in chapter 11. Abraham and Lot's fathers were brothers. And Lot's father died at a very early age, leaving Lot an orphan. So Abraham takes Lot under his wing, cares for him, probably gets him started in the sheep business. And Abraham has been like a father to Lot. But there's trouble. There's too many flocks and not enough pasture and water. So the shepherds fight and argue over the resources that are available. Verse number 8. Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen, and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. Abraham says, look, let's not fight. We don't need to argue. My friends, God's people always need to embrace Abraham's attitude and Abraham's statement, let's not fight and argue. How many people love to fight and argue? Huh? How many churches love to fight and argue? How many pastors teach their people to fight and argue? My friends, it was Jesus who said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Abraham wisely chooses to be peacemaker. We should always follow his example. 
So watch him as he brings peace to this volatile situation. Verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Thou will take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. No, they're standing on top of a very large mountain. And from there you can see for miles. Still today on that mountain you can see for miles. North, south, east, west, all directions. You can literally see a great deal of Canaan from the top of that particular mountain. And Abraham says, look around you, make a choice, choose. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. You choose, and I'll take what's left. So let's see now what Lot chooses, verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere where the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou cometh into Zoar. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. So if you stand on that mountain and you look to the north, it's just more mountains. If you look to the west, you see high plateaus eventually going down to the sea. If you look to the south, very wild country down there. But if you look to the east, it's the Jordan River Valley. Lots of water for the flocks of sheep. Green grass for the best pastures. There's trees there. There's even a large forest down that has grown because of the water there. There's no mountains to hike over. Just a beautiful place, as wonderful, he says, as the Garden of Eden was. Clearly the best property for a man raising sheep. And more than that, there's a city, a large city where people live who will buy sheep for their dinner and goats for their supper. So Lot sees it as a place easy to raise sheep and ready market to sell your sheep. I'll take that, he says, for my flocks and herds. I'm going east. That's my choice. Now Abraham is in his late 70s. Some of you are there, right? You know what I'm talking about. He's not a kid anymore. Uncle Abraham took you under his wing and helped raise you when your father died. Abraham has taken you with him wherever he's gone. But now Lot, you choose the best ground, the best pastures, the best water, knowing that Abraham said, if you go that way, I'll go the opposite way. Lot, out of respect for your uncle, or out of gratitude to your uncle, or because he's getting to be an old man, why don't you give your uncle first choice 
and you take whatever's left. Lot needs mom's knife so he can learn to be fair. And so the other person gets first choice. No. Lot makes a choice. It's a selfish choice. Most likely, Lot's choice is based on the idea of making big money so he can live the good life. There's the mountains with their scanty pasture and scarce water sources and hard traveling. Let Uncle Abraham have that. And so together for years, they finally separate and go the opposite direction. But wait a minute. There's another one of those little bits of seed information. And the rest of the story will depend on this one little bit of information. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. One thing is certain. When Lot was with Abraham, he was always well cared for. But now he's made a choice. I'm taking the rich, fertile ground. I'm going to go down towards Sodom. Now notice, it doesn't say that Lot pitched his tent and built an altar, does it? He's not like Abraham. No, Lot has not considered God in his choice at all. In fact, he ignored God completely. He has no intention of keeping up with Abraham's lifestyle. No more tent living for a lot. Notice the progression, if you're reading carefully, on the top of the mountain, standing with Uncle Abraham, it said, Lot looked towards Sodom. And then it says, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. But Lot, the men of Sodom, are exceedingly wicked men. Violent and perverted. They defy God and all he stands for. These are men infamous in all of history for their evil perversion. Lot, why pitch your tent over by Sodom? It's okay. It's okay. All I want to do is sell them a few sheep. The next thing we know... Lot has abandoned his tent, and he now lives in the city of Sodom. Lot, you were with Abraham in Egypt. You left Egypt with Uncle Abraham. Didn't you learn that the godless culture is a danger to you? Didn't you learn with Uncle Abraham that the safest place you can be is to be exactly where God wants you to be? why you're here this morning. No. Lot's selfishness and his greed, greed has moved him right into Sodom. Abraham is up in the mountains walking and talking with God. Lot is down in Sodom walking and talking with exceedingly wicked men. So, what will happen to Lot? Well, in chapter 14, we won't have time to read it all, but in chapter 14, we see a verse 
that there were four kings joining their armies into one great army and moving their armies. They were from the north. They come sweeping down these four armies together in one out of the north across the land of Canaan. They are not interested in conquest. They're not building their kingdoms. They only came as raiders, stealing and seizing whatever they can find, moving fast, getting rich, getting whatever they want. That's why they came. Chapter 14 now in verse 11. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Now, Lot is held captive by the raiders. They took everything. All the food, it says, which would be all of Lot's flocks. They took a lot probably to hold him for ransom. So Lot, how's it going for you living in Sodom? All his wealth, gone. His freedom is gone. I guess Sodom wasn't such a good choice. Hmm? My friends, if you leave God out of your plans and choose to live in an evil world, don't be surprised when life goes awry. But God can help. Verse 14, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan, divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, smote them, and pursued them unto Hobath, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, brought back again his brother Lot and his goods, and the woman also, and the people. So, he's rescued by Uncle Abraham. We just happened to have 318 armed men with him in his camp. And they do a daring night raid and they free Lot and seize all the flocks and send everybody back home free. Okay, Lot, you learned a lesson, right? No. He goes back to Sodom and lives in Sodom again. Lot learns nothing. From his experience. After a while, as we go through the Bible, God sends a message to Lot. And it's a very intense and serious message. Here's the message that God sends to Lot. Get out of Sodom right now. Now. Don't wait. You must go now. Genesis 19 Tells us the story. In verse 23. When the sun was risen upon the earth. When Lot entered into Zor. And the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities. And all the plain the inhabitants of the city. And that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. In verse 30. Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters with him for he feared to dwell in Zor and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. All the flocks are gone. There are no more flocks. The green grass is all gone. The woods are gone. The whole city of Sodom is nothing but ashes and 
piled up rubble. It's all gone. And Lot's wife, reluctant to leave, is also now gone. The Bible says turned into a pillar of salt or basically burned alive on the spot. There's no money, no silver, no gold, no flock, no house, no tent. Lot is now living in a cave. And that's the last we ever hear of Lot. We never hear his name again. He's living in a cave. Oh, Lot, what a bad choice you made when you first looked from that mountaintop with Uncle Abraham. One bad choice. Ruined your whole life. You thought you could live in Sodom and do well without God. You planned on making money and being well off. One bad choice. Everything is gone. My friends, Jesus gave a description of people like Lot in one of his parables. In the parable of the sower... Jesus said that some of the seeds tossed out by the sower fell on what he called thorny ground. And listen to how Jesus describes it. The seed sown among the thorns represents the man who hears the message and then the worries of this life and the illusions of wealth choke it to death. And so it produces no crop in his life. Too much concern for the thing that the world offers. Not enough concern for God. And the good seed is choked out. My friends, heed the warning of Lot's disastrous end. And make sure God is behind all your choices. Be like Abraham, who was not attracted by silver and gold. Be like Abraham, who refused to argue. Be like Abraham, who was a peacemaker. Be like Abraham, who made good choices. My friends, the question for you this morning is how will you cut the cake when God hands you the knife? Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons given us. We see a warning lifting up its head. What do we want most in life? What attracts us and what fascinates us? We ask that it would always be God, that we'd be filled with a desire for him, that we would not be denied, but we would go to him until we get from him those things we long for, and that you would feed our hungry hearts. So as we make those choices, make us wise, Lord, that we would cut the cake right. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book to hymn number 221. Standing as we sing in closing, hymn number 221, Jesus calls us over the tumult of our life's restless sea, day by day. His sweet voice call us saying, Christian, follow me.
page 221. this day that our hearts would be filled with a desire for you. We ask that we would see and come to that choice and that you would help us to turn our hearts to seek you and not to seek the things of this world, not to look for the vain world's golden stores, Lord, and not to call on those idols in our life. May we love you more than all these things in our life. Teach us. Help us, Lord, as we struggle. As we go through this life, help us to choose what is that right way and to walk away from the things of this earth, the things that mean so much to so many people here. Lord, help us to think about you and you only. Protect us and be with us. Bring us back to this place that we may seek you each and every day and come back next time to be with you again, we pray. In your name, amen.